now move in our hearts and our midst, Lord, as we start this new book of Corinthians, Lord, uh, that you would just uh, speak to us and draw us close and reveal uh, Jesus to us in a, in a more intimate and personal and deep way, Lord, as we uh, look into what you have to say to us. So bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Got myself a new pair of glasses. And uh, my brother-in-law, what do you think? Pretty cool? Not really. <laughs> okay. I have 2015 vision with them on, though, so I get to see everything my kids do. My, uh... <laughs> you Something like that. Yeah. All right. So um, we are in 1 Corinthians. And so uh, as I was kind of looking over um, what we've done, that this is the third time through the book here. So it's, uh, uh, it's always kind of nice to do that and look at it again in a new, fresh way. It's been um, about seven years, I think, since we've been in it. So um, it's going to be pretty great. Um, I'll just throw a, a little chart uh, up, up there. It gives us a little timeline of when the books were written. So the timeline, of course, is across the top with the dates there. And, you know, I, I may not agree with every single date up there and how they uh, put everything together, but, you know, close enough. Um, and, uh, you know, you're just going through and you can see, you know, when they were written. And, of course, you can see the third column over at the, closer to the bottom is when, you know, 1 Corinthians was written. Um, and, you know, what missionary trip it was. It was obviously Paul's second missionary trip, the way they're counting it, which is the way most people count it. Um, and then, obviously, on to the end in Rome and his last book in Second Timothy. So it just gives us some sense of the life of Paul and some of the books that the Lord had him to record for us today. And you get to, you get to see that. So... Um, Paul had a long history uh, with the city of Corinth. He established that church in Corinth after um, being in Athens. Uh, and then he stayed there about a year and a half, according to uh, Acts chapter 18, which is where, to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19 is where uh, it falls in um, the, hit, the book of history of 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 Acts. So Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19 give us the historical a context of, of what was happening and how they got there and how long they were there. And so it was about a year and a half, which was quite a bit longer than most places that he stayed. I mean, he stayed the longest in Ephesus, but, um, you know, Corinth was up there uh, for a long time as well. Uh, just to briefly cover where, where Corinth is, uh, it's pretty much right there where, where Greece is. So all the modern day, if you look on the map, the modern day countries, well... I guess it's pretty old because it does say Yugoslavia instead of <laughs> Croatia and uh, Bosnia and all that. But um, uh, I guess the map is a little dated now that I look at it a little closer. But you can see, you know, you have Turkey and you have Greece today and Italy, you know, the boot with Sicily, the island off that boot there. And Corinth, you know, being right there in the middle, you know, part of Greece still as it was back then. And then, you know, here's a little... little uh, different picture with lists of the city. And so you can see Corinth a little clearer. It's in the bold and it's right pretty much in the center of the slide there um, on that Greek island there. Um, and that's, Paul would, you know, obviously be going up the coast, hitting a lot of those cities look pretty familiar. If you're familiar with Acts, 
um, and he would pass, you know, those those cities as he was um, going out, sharing, spreading the gospel. And so Corinth gives you some sense of where it is. Still modern day Greece today. Um, you know, here is uh, an artist's rendering of what Corinth would have looked like during the time that he was there. You know, the a temple the, to um, what was referred to pretty much in, in that day, you know, Aphrodite. She was called different things by different people, but the same goddess, if you would. That temple was up on a hill, um, and the city was kind of below it. And this is kind of an artist's rendering of... Uh, of what the city looked like in Paul's day. And then here's a, a modern-day picture of the ruins, and of course you can see the ocean in the background um, up from where that temple would be looking down towards the... Uh, was that the Aegean Sea right there, I think? Um, I don't know why I can't remember that off the top of my head. But anyway, you get an idea. You can see the, the ruins are still pretty extensive, even in this modern-day picture here, looking down. Beautiful place. I mean... Um, I've never been to Greece, always wanted to go to Greece and do, you know, Footsteps of Paul tour. I don't know about you guys, but I've always wanted to hit the Mediterranean, um, you know, on a cruise ship and then just do all the day trips to where all, you know, Footsteps of Paul's tour. I always thought that would be one of those things, but even in the 90s when I really wanted to go, it was like $6,500 <laughs> per person. I'm like, oh. So, uh, uh, but anyway, uh this is a view of it today. It's just so you have some sense of where Paul was and, and what was going on here. And so, um, so think of Corinth in that day as kind of our equivalent to our Silicon Valley today. You know, it was a very prosperous place. Uh, it was a place um, where there was a lot of trade and a lot of prosperity. So just think of it, you know, you, we drive through Silicon Valley and we just see all the giant tech companies and all the other companies associated with that. And anybody that has anything to do with techs from car dealer, car manufacturers to this manufacturer, you know, they all have a presence up there in Silicon Valley. So a very affluent, very wealthy area. Corinth was also that as well. Um, here's a quote uh, about Corinth that um, says pretty much the same thing. When Paul came to Corinth in 5050, the city was famous for hundreds of years uh, before he was born. Ancient writers considered Corinth rich, prosperous, always great, and wealthy. And so that's kind of a historical look at the city of Corinth. It was, um, um, again, as we go through this book, we'll see a, a lot of similarities between the modern church, our church today, particularly our church, and I'll say it in California, uh, you know, in the United States, let's broaden it out a little bit. It, it, there's a lot of similarities with the troubles they were having and the issues that Paul's going to address and that the Holy Spirit wants taken care of in the church there. Um, in the context of the environment that they lived in and the, and the society they lived in was very similar to ours. Yes, they didn't have electricity or cell phones or this or that, but again, the Problems and issues that people had are common and are the same, and they translate very clearly into our day and age as we go through this. So I think there's some great parallels to the church today and some of the pitfalls and problems that they have that we need to address and look at today as well. So, um, and again, this was also a great place of idolatry. You know, as I said, the Aphrodite... Aphrodite um, um, temple up on the Acropolis up there, you know, was a goddess of love and beauty and sexual rapture. So 
there was a lot of sexual immorality going on in that town, and it was uh, it was okay. It was looked on as just that's what we do. That's who we are. It's part of society. Nobody stepped out and said this is wrong or immoral. This was just how they lived. And I, again, I can't help but likening to our society today. You know, you can't you can't say anything critical about anybody that wants to do or say or feel or live in any way. And if you do, you're, you know, you're automatically tagged with all these, you know, uh, terms of, you know, you're this or that or whatever. And uh, again, much like what they're like there. Um, I also thought this was a great quote. I don't, um, it says, if you want to know what Corinth was like, read Romans 1, 18 through 32. And that's when he talks about the sexual immorality, if you're not familiar with that section of Romans. He said, Paul wrote the Roman epistle while in Corinth, and he could have looked out the window and have seen the very sins that he listed. So if you're familiar with that chapter 1 of Romans, where he talks about immorality and sin and people giving themselves over sexual immorality and they give, you know, their mind and, and then, you know, their, their heart, uh, their body and then their heart and then he gives them over to those sexual sins and, you know, to do all sorts of evil and corruption. Uh, you know, this one uh, uh, commentator said basically, you know, Paul could look out the window when he was writing that to the Romans because he was in Corinth when he wrote that. And, and see all that going on there. So that gives you some context of the immorality that was going on, uh, particularly sexual immorality going on in the city of his day, uh, in the city when he went there to plant the church and share the gospel. So a, a little bit more, he wrote uh, a letter to the Christians in, in Corinth from Ephesus, and that's what chapter 19 of Acts tells us uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 9, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. We'll eventually get to it, but I want to make a point here. He, he said a little later on than we're going to be this today, but he said, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual, sexually immoral people. And then he goes on to, to talk about a few things. But I, I point this verse out is because Paul had previously written a letter to the Corinthian church that we don't have, the Lord didn't choose to uh, to save that or to preserve that for us. But if you really want to count accurately, this would really be 2 Corinthians um, because he did write an earlier letter. Um, but again, it wasn't significant enough for, um, uh, or the Lord chose not to preserve that, that letter for some reason. And so we know that was, he, he did write a previous letter to them and addressed some of these things. And one of the things he addressed, as he'll do in this letter, is sexual uh, immorality. So I, I just want to kind of highlight that and how it talks about that as we go through this, um, this book. Now, how did Paul, why did Paul write this letter? Well, we know that, as we'll read this morning uh, in verse 11 of chapter 1, uh, Paul received reports from this uh, person, Chloe's household, about the problems that there were in the church. And he'll actually say that, I heard about this from them. He, it's possible that he might have received a delegation or a group of people from Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16, 7 kind of alludes to that. Um, but, and who also brought questions to Paul. So not only will he address issues that were going on in the church that were wrong, but he'll also talk, uh, uh, answer some questions that they have 
uh, to him about the church and different questions they have in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He'll say that now about the questions that you have written me, I'm, I'm, let me answer them here. So it seems like he probably received some kind of delegation from Chloe's house and the representatives from the church in Corinth who reported what was going on. And then he also brought some questions. And so he writes this letter in response to that. Uh, and then, again, um, we know more about the Corinthian church uh, and the Corinthian Christians than we know about any other church really in the New Testament. Uh, we, we have the most detail on the Corinthian church more than really any other uh, church. So um, I think, uh, you know, going through this, this letter is a, is a great insight on um, uh, modern history or, or history repeating itself in those days. Again, the church had many problems, which you know, or 1,900, 2,000 years since, you know, that point we're still having today. And um, the final thing I want to say is, by the way, of this long introduction is that we'll be surprised to see how much this church possessed as far as spiritual gifts. Um, they were spiritually powerful church. There was the operation of spiritual gifts, and of course Paul's going to address that later on, and we've talked about that but just how powerfully they're in operation in this church. And, and, and yet, you know, they had so many issues, as we'll see. And I think, you know, it'll come as a surprise to us as we go through and see what they had so much of. And yet, you know, these things cropped, creeped up in the church and caused a lot of problems. So let's, let's sorry, it's a new book, so we always kind of do the little longer introduction there. But let's look at verse 1 of, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul called to be an epistle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. So we see that, um, you know, he introduces himself and that's pretty typical. Uh, you know, he talks about who, who he is and again, uh, his call in the Lord. Um, and, you know, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ and... Um, I think it's important to see that, you know, Paul was, was answering or in, uh, responding or in the center of God's call for his life. His, his, uh, his job as, a, as an apostle, you know, an a special ambassador maybe is a, another modern way of maybe looking at it, a representative, one sent by somebody uh, out. Um, although, you know, we talk about the 12 apostles speaking about Jesus' you know, 12 disciples, but you know, the Bible talks about other apostles. So I know sometimes it gets a little confusing for us. Who is he talking about? The apostles, is he talking about the 12? Or is there others? There's others that were called apostles because the title is pretty broad. Although sometimes when we capitalize and say the apostles, we're referring to the 12. But you know, in this case, we're talking about Paul, who is also an apostle. Um, you know, just... That's what he was called to do. And I just think, as we pause here real quick, you know, we have frustrations in our walks and our lives with Jesus uh, when we don't follow the calling that the Lord has given us. And, uh, you know, it's always important that we know what the Lord has called us to do. I believe all of us have a calling, and it might, you know, be 
more singular or a couple of things. It might be pretty broad. I do this, I do this, I have this gift and ability, and you've called me and gifted me in this area. And, and that, you know, we always are aware of that. And if you're not aware of it, it's a great thing to pray about. Lord, just make it clear where, where have you called me to do. You know, uh, again, uh, everybody has a calling and uh, don't, don't think of it. You have to be, you know, oh, the person that's got a calling is a, a pastor of a church or a missionary or this kind of person. Every person, every believer has a calling from the Lord. I think that's pretty clear. And we've been gift, given gifts and talents to perform that and accomplish that call. And the Lord does change things and move things around at times according to His will and plan. But, you know, if your walk is pretty frustrated in the Lord, you know, I think one of the things to look at is, okay, am I doing the calling that you've called me to do? Am I being faithful to that calling? Uh, and I think, you know, we'll find that a lot of times it's, we're frustrated is because we're heading in a different direction than our call, and the Lord's not making it easy, and He does that out of love. And, of course, we see that Sosthenes, which is very interesting, by the way, is part of Paul's company here. Because when you read back in Acts chapter 18, Paul shows up, and, uh, you know, we know the synagogue leader was Crispus, and he was saved, and so this guy named Sosthenes took over, and then he dragged Paul to court, and then, you know, the, the, the Roman judge, uh, I think his name was, was Gaius, uh, you know, started talking to him about this. He says, That's your, that has to do with your Jewish religion stuff. Get out of here. And they end up, you know, beating up Sosthenes over this whole thing. And uh, then we see the guy getting saved at some point. He's actually with Paul on a missionary trip. So if you read Acts chapter 18, it's pretty cool to see that this guy who once dragged Paul to court for sharing the gospel uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and ended up kind of things turned on its head and turned on him comes to know the Lord. Um, it's a great story to read if you, uh, you know, in your devotional reading, if you want to, to read that and kind of catch up and see what happened there and, and to see how this guy came to know the Lord now and he's actually, you know, going out on missionary trips with Paul. And uh, again, it may seem, may have seemed impossible, you know, here's this guy that was so against the gospel enough to try to stop Paul from preaching uh, the gospel that he dragged him to court. Now, it didn't work out the way he wanted, but you can see how opposed he was to the gospel, and yet now he is, you know, walking step in step with one of the greatest missionaries ever, Paul the Apostle. And again, you know, who seems impossible in our lives that they, you know, there's just, I don't know if they could ever come to know the Lord, be saved. It just seems so impossible. Well, Sosthenes is a great example of you know, anybody could come to the Lord. Amen? <laughs> so if he can, uh, there's, there's hope, right? And then it says in verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth. And again, um, I, I think this is important, and it seems like a minor point, but you know, to the church of God which is at Corinth. Um, if you ask people about church, and you say, oh, tell me about the church in Watsonville. Well, they'll say, well, there's St. Pat's down on Main Street. There's the Valley Church out on East Lake. There's the First Baptist on Lincoln. There's, uh, you know, Green Valley on Green Valley Road. Uh, you know, they'll list something like that. And, and, you know, that's we associate church with a building. But remember what's said very clearly here and what's said really clearly in Scripture is um, it's, it's the building is where we're 
where people meet, yes, we call that a church, but the church is the people. And the building is just a building where we gather together to meet the Lord, And but the church is people. It's not a place. It's not a building. So when we leave one building for church and we go someplace else, the church is now out in community. Uh, it's in uh, Capitola where, you know, Thomas is. It's in, you know... Uh, off of Green Valley, you know, where, where Carl is, or it's in here or there, you know, wherever all of us are. It's just out throughout the community. So the church is not a building, it's the people. And so uh, I like the way he puts that there. So he says to the church, which is in Corinth, uh, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. This is the great thing, and one of the great things that happened in, in, in really the so many of the books uh, and the letters that make up our New Testament is that the writers, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, always speak uh, of the great position that we have. Yes, there's correction or instruction or edification or something in these in these letters but you know first of all and most importantly what's addressed is you know who we are um, you know our position and our place in the Lord it's important that we understand that it's not just all oh, we do this wrong and you need to do this or that is shouldn't be done or whatever it's all about this you know there's there's this great commonality we need to understand in the church. You know, one is we're all sanctified in Jesus, right? That's what it says here. We're set apart or sacred for a special purpose. All believers are sanctified. We're, we're set apart. That's what that means for a special purpose. All believers are saints in the Bible. All believers who are alive are called saints. Now, again, in our day and age, if you ask somebody on the street, uh, what's a saint? And most of them will say, well, I think they do some great things. And then the church gives them, you know, a stamp of approval and they're now called Saint Ethan or whatever, right? Uh, but the reality is, and what the Bible teaches, and that's just, you know, how the church has kind of developed that. But the reality is, and what the Bible teaches uh, over and over again, and you can see it right here in front of you, is that we're all called saints, all who are alive and are believers are called saints in the Bible. That's just a, the position we are uh, as our place in the Lord. And the third thing he says, it's true that everyone who believes everywhere, name him as Lord, he's all of ours. So it's not just the, the church in Corinth and the believers in Corinth. It's the believers wherever they might be, at whatever time and whatever place, that we're all connected, we all have the same Lord, we all believe in Jesus, we all have this connection. There is that connection in the body of Christ, whether they're in Corinth or in Rome or today in this place or in that place, we, you know, we have Him in common. And we just need to remember that. And most of us know that, because if you've ever traveled anywhere, and then all of a sudden you meet a, another, another Christian somewhere, and you start talking to them, all of a sudden you know how you connect right away with them, right? You just, you know, all of a sudden there's just this great connection. You may never have met them. You might be 
talking to them in the, you know, somebody in the airport or something, or, you know, you drove somewhere and then, you know, somebody sees your Christian sticker on your car or something and says, oh, you know, it brings up something or you, you know, you see somebody reading the Bible and you say hi to them or whatever it is, you run into them in some way or shape or form. There's this great bond and fellowship that we have immediately uh, when we see them. And that's because we're all connected. That's another thing, part of the body. You know, it's another stamp of who we are and who we belong to when you see another believer and it just there's just some great connection there. Um, and uh, it just shows you who you're a part of. It's just a something we maybe take for granted, but it's something that you know stamps the name of Jesus on our lives and theirs as well. And then Paul goes on in verse 3, Grace to you and uh, peace from our God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that's the order that's always mentioned here. You always uh, have grace and then peace. It's just the, it's just the natural flow uh, of God's plan for people, for mankind is, you know, you receive God's grace and then you receive his peace. You know, I've shared this story before, but Horatio Spofford um, was a businessman uh, in Chicago, and he sent his wife uh, and three daughters to Europe on, on a ship while he was going to stay back in the States for a while, and then he was going to join them later. But it, it, going over to Europe, the, a terrible storm uh, came up, and re- uh, there was a shipwreck, and his three daughters were drowned. And so Ms. Spofford made it to safety, but sent a wire back to her husband and said, this, and I quote, all of our daughters have been lost, only I have been saved. And so, you know, he heads on the next boat heading out, and as the boat came to the place where his daughters had drowned, um, uh, you know, the, the captain, the skipper of the ship pointed to the place where the ship had gone down, and there on the deck of the ship, he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Makes you want to sing that hymn. It is well <laughs> with my soul. But you know what? That's the peace of God working in a person's life who has received the grace of God. It's just that, that, that that's it. And I think that's, that story is a, is a good reminder of that. That's receiving the peace of God uh, because a person has received the grace of God. And that's the great connection that we have, and that's the great blessings we have in the Lord. And so, you know, it's always important to establish that because what he's going to say here now in verse 4, uh, four, you know, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna dig it a little deeper now um, onto really to verse eight and nine, really, you know, uh, of the the greater things that we have in common, and he it, it so much it's kind of like verse four all the way through verse eight is this big run on sentence we'd say today, right? If you're turning in your English paper. Uh, you know, or something in school today, and you wrote this sentence, the you know, teacher would probably mark it as a run-on sentence. <laughs> but I, I like this, and it's great because, you know, the bottom line is, is Paul just gets 
on this role of who we are and what we have in common as our Lord, and he just, you know, takes a deep breath and speaks this out. And I imagine the scribe writing it down, probably Sosthenes is probably just going to town trying to catch up with all this, because all these, you know, wonderful thoughts of what the Holy Spirit's putting on his heart of who we are and what we have together in Jesus Christ. And, and so it says this, and let's read it through verse 8. It says, And I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which has been given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as, a test, as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has also confirmed you to the end, and that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he just goes on. The first thing he says, and I thank God always, right, concerning you for the grace of God given to you. And I like how the NIV puts this. Oh, I meant to put that up there. But it, it, it puts verses 4 and 5 this way. It says, I always thank God, my God, for you and for your, the gracious gift he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Again, think about what we have in Jesus. He, you know, he, like us, Paul here, will be amazed. It's always good to step back and think, man, what great blessings and gifts and wonderful um, uh, place and position I have in Jesus. Um, that they, or we've been given God's amazing grace, as he said here, and the effects of grace in the life of the Corinthian church made them rich in speech and in knowledge. They just had so much. And again, you know, when you see the word rich, people automatically think of money, right? But rich is not just only material, and that certainly is part of it in one sense, or it could be it, but their speech and their knowledge in Jesus, and that's the really richness that they have, that he's just blessed them and given them so much insight of who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do in uh, their lives individually and corporately as a church. You know, they're rich in that. Again, the riches of these worlds will, will come and go, and you know, you get this, you have that, and then this goes, and this comes and goes, and and all that kind of stuff. And again, just, just look at the people that have the most money and they're just not satisfied with it. Um, I, I don't know about you, but you know, if, I don't know, maybe you're like me, you know, if, if somehow you landed a couple of million dollars for doing a job for a year or two or something like that, that would be the last day I worked. <laughs> that would be it. I would just retire, hang up my whatever it is, uh, you know, and, and call it a day because living off that would be, would be plenty. But, you know, you see people that earn that or get that and then, oh, what, what, a couple million more and then a couple million and then 10 million more. And, you know, how much do you need to get? It's never enough for them. And then I bought this vacation house. It was said in 2021 that in the United States, $41.1 billion were spent on vacation homes just that year alone. 
$41.1 billion just in the United States on people buying not their primary home to live, not a place, you know, where they raise their family and all that kind of stuff, but just a secondary home, you know, a ski home, a, you know, something in the woods or in our area, you know, all these guys that line Pebble Beach, you know, all secondary homes, uh, you know. You go out to the preserve in Carmel, another place, you know, all secondary homes for most of them. And, you know, uh, well, Thomas knows all those beach homes are rentals for, you know, that magnificent properties are just rentals. They didn't even live there. That's a rental property for them. For us, man, if we had a place like that, it would be like, you know, you'd be king of the hill. Um, and it just, it's just not enough. You just can't have enough. When, when money and you want to pursue money and have money, whether it brings you security or some kind of benefit, it's just never enough. It never can be. And so the Lord just doesn't necessarily bless us with those empty things. What he gives us is tangible and eternal, uh, and, and it's, it has eternal value and currency, if you would. And it's not mean that the Lord doesn't take care of us, because he does. And all of us, he's taken care of us. He really has. And blessed us in, in, in many ways materially as well. We have no complaints of that. But again, the richness really in what we have in Him and who we are and the blessings that He's poured out about who He is. You look at that and I think we'll be amazed just as Paul was. And verse 6 goes on to say, right, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm to you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they have the testimony of, of Jesus and the bl abundant blessings of these gifts that he has given us. And he says, and you know, we live with this anticipation that Jesus is coming. And one day, just look at verse 8. One day we'll stand before the Lord blameless. I don't know about you, but if you like to highlight or underline or whatever, it's just that just kind of blows my mind because it's hard to imagine standing before anybody and then looking at us and saying, no fault is found, no blame is there. Uh, because we look at ourselves and there is so many failures, right? I mean, just so many failures and some of us can list them better than we should be able to, you know, and we know our failures and we know our faults and we know this. And yet, you know, when it comes to that day in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to look and we're going to be pronounced as blameless. And when you think of that, you know, it, it just it can't do anything but soften your heart and cause you to have amazement that is morally, well, maybe that's a little bit harsh, but I would say morally bankrupt, but that's probably a little harsh because we're not. Um, but, you know, as, as far fall short as we know that where we should be, yet he is going to, you know, look at us blameless in that day. And, um, and, and that's, that's just in itself is just an amazing thought. You just got to think about that and process that for a minute. And um, I, I think, you know, as we read these verses, you know, the Christian life is one blessed with everything. And the question is, do you believe that? Because think about it, what is God withholding from us? 
Does he ever withhold anything that's good for us? No, because that's not who he is. And when we get to know him, you know, people have all sorts of sadly wrong ideas. Some of them warp, some of them just misconceptions because of, you know, they, they, they think of God in terms of how we think. And he's not that way. So when you start to, you know, well, I think God is this way. I think God will feel this way. I think God should, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. And that's our natural tendency to do that. But, you know, you have to realize he doesn't think, if you would, like we do. He's far a superior and above that. And when you consider that, then you realize, okay, he's so far above that. He's not like me, you know. Uh, he doesn't think like I do. And, you know, he has a perfect view of everything. I have a very limited view of everything. Even the most pressing situation or the, the most thing I know the most about, let's say, in life, I mean, how much do I really know about it? If, if, if there, everything there is to know about that, how much do I really know? And you realize how little you know, and yet God's knowledge is perfect. So what would he withhold from us? Nothing. And if he chooses not to do this or answer this prayer in this way or in this time or in this, you know, we have to realize that he's not doing it out of punishment because he would have punished us a long time ago. He's not doing it out of withholding something because that's what we would think. Well, you're not really up to stuff here, so I'm going to withhold that for you a little bit because that's the way we act down here. That's not how he is. What's he withholding? Good. Nothing. But he sees that that's not good for us, or he sees that this is not the right time to do that, or if I do this, it's not going to benefit you in any sort of important eternal way. You might think it will give you some temporal this or that, and it may, but, it, but again, he's always thinking for our eternal good, and he never withholds anything good from us. I think it's so important for us to understand that. He doesn't withhold anything that's good for us. And one day, because of his love and his grace, we're going to stand before him blameless. And again, that just boggles your mind because of what Jesus did and who we are in him and because of the price that he paid. That's why it's just so amazing as we studied last week and a couple weeks before that about the death on the cross and the gospel of Luke and all that. It's just it means so much more. Why is that so important? Why do we spend so much time on it? Because it's important that we understand what he did for us. That darkness, that separation that he experienced, the, the paying for all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that we can stand before the Father one day blameless because he looks at Jesus' righteousness, not our unrighteousness. And, and then we're in awe of how much the Father is that he was willing to sacrifice the Son for us, and how much the Son loves us because He was willing to do that. And it's just, you know, you know, we, sometimes as a Christian you can kind of lose track of that. You know that, but it's not the great thing, uh, you know, even though that's understating it, you know, that it is. But the Christian life, again, is just... A blessed life because, again, you know, he gives us the gifts, as it says in verse 7, that we need to accomplish his will and his plan and his call for our lives. There are just no gifts that he doesn't want to give us to accomplish that. And that's why, again, it's so important that we stay faithful to the calling that he's given us because that's where we're going to find the most joy and satisfaction and, and the peace and the love 
because, you know, we're centered in this will and His call for our lives. And if we don't know that, that's an important thing to pray for. And finally, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. I like this quote, and it says this, We may let Him down, but He will never let us down. Any failure will be on our side, not His. He is utterly dependable. His power to secure us is as great as His power to save us. Sooner could the sun cease to shine and the stars be blotted out and the earth cease to rotate then God could be untrue to his own character. He is faithful. God is faithful. And again, if you know you like to highlight or underline or circle in your Bible, you know, God is faithful. And because of that, we have fellowship with his son Jesus. Because he is faithful and he promised to redeem sinful man. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, he wanted to redeem us. He calls us into this fellowship. He had a plan of salvation, and he has now brought that to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have fellowship with him. We're called into this fellowship, this likeness, this gathering, this community uh, if you would, with Jesus, our Lord. And of course, it's much deeper than those terms that I used, but that's what we have. We're, we're called into this fellowship of His Son. And there's this connection between all of us that we need to remember and that we need to understand and we need to love and we need to appreciate. Because next time when we, when we hit in verse 10, you know, he's going he's gonna to bring up the, these divisions that they have because, oh, I, you know, I think this guy is the best teacher and this guy is, the, you know, the greatest and I like him and I like him and I like him. And there's all these schisms in the church because, you know, they're, they're thinking they're more spiritual because they like, you know, this missionary better, or this teacher, or this pastor, or whatever you want to say today, you know, is better than others. And, and, you know, they look down at others because they like, oh, you like Apollos? Well, I like Paul. Well, you like Paul? I like Peter, you know, and, you know, on and on it goes. And um, so there was just community and this commonality and this love and this closeness and this fellowship and this bond that we have in the church that's just not localized, it's international, it's worldwide, and it's, it goes beyond that. It goes into the eternal realms, and it never ends. And it's important that we have that foundation, because if we don't, then you start getting involved in all these schisms, and you, you forget who you are. Well, I'm more spiritual than you, or I go to this church, and it's better than, than the other ones, and on and on and on it goes. And so, you know, pretty soon you're thumbing your nose at somebody because they, you know, go here or do this or they don't go to where you go or they don't like the pastors you like listening to or on and on it goes. And, and, and Paul's saying, we have something so much more deeper than that and, and that uh, is so beyond all those things and we can't get caught up in these kind of petty arguments and different things because our foundation is so deep and our fellowship so strong, and the place that we have in Jesus and in the Father 
is incredible bond uh, that we're all standing on equal footing and we always will. And, and we're happy with that. We're happy to be part of that, that group that will one day be pronounced blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Well, let's pray and we'll pick it up next time in verse 10. Father, we do thank you for this time that we get to look at this introduction. And though I meant on covering more, Lord, we, we thank you for this time that you... Um, You've given us, Lord, that we look at the promises and who we are and what we have in you and, and who we are together and how we, you know, have this communion and this fellowship as believers. And it doesn't matter if we live in the United States or in some other country or any place, Lord. Um, we have this fellowship because of what Jesus did. And we all have, you know, access to you. And we're all blessed with great knowledge and insight and gifts and, and love that you have given to us. And Lord, um, you know, you've called us all. You want to gift us with that uh, calling. And then we're, you know, uh, that you have us to do as part of the body of Christ. And, um, and the great positions that we have, Lord. May we just be thankful and grateful and rejoice in those. And yes, we have our differences, and yes, we don't agree on everything, but Lord, it's never to divide and separate and push aside and lift one up and put another down or vice versa. Lord, it's, you know, we have too much in common to to want to separate and, and divide that way, Lord. And help us to, to keep that in mind, Lord. Help us to study and focus on the amazing grace that's been given to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.